The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy in our lives. Thank you, God, for the gift of mothers to the world. And thank you, Father, for um, how they often reflect your image as they serve us and care for us and nurture us and love us and sacrifice for us. God, we give you praise for moms. And God, on a day like today where it's a celebration for some and difficult for others, God, we pray for your mercy over those who are hurting as they come to a service like this today, who have pain as it relates to either their mom or their children or their lack of children. God, may they know your presence and your comfort today. God, as we look in your word together, we pray, Father, that you would be with us, that you would direct our hearts to truth, and God, that you would encourage us to be a people who trust you and who walk in faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've got your Bibles today, you can open up to the Old Testament book of Ruth as we look at Not Your Mother's Mother's Day Sermon. We're going to look in the book of Ruth, and the reason we're going to look there today is, is because of this, the essence of being a faithful mother, and one of the great ideas brought about in the book of Ruth are wrapped up in this question. And the question is this, are you willing to not be the star of your own story? Now, that's a question that comes about in the book of Ruth because the book's named after her, but really she's not the star of the story. That's a question that's wrapped up in the faithfulness of motherhood. Because if you're a mom, you're going to serve behind the scenes a lot. You have served behind the scenes a lot. You've worked for the good of others often and rarely received credit. But really... Not just for moms, though, and not just the book of Ruth. Really, in all of life, if we're going to be in God's story and be an integral part of the story, we've got to answer this question, are you willing not to be the star of your own story? When I think about this question, I think about the first time I went to the United Arab Emirates. I went there in 2009 with a physician who he and his wife, we send out, and they were going over there, and it was a vision trip to look at what it would look like serving in a hospital. And as part of our relationship to this hospital, who has a great relationship to the royal family, we were invited to go to the wedding of the oil minister's son for the United Arab Emirates. So if someone said, bring a suit, and I immediately thought, I don't have a suit nice enough for this wedding. But we went, and it was this amazing ordeal. I've still got the invitation. The invitation for this wedding is embossed with silver. It looks nicer than my college diploma. Whenever the silver market goes up, I always wonder, is that real silver? What can I get for that? But we go, and it's incredible. There, we show up, and there are about four or five hundred men. When we get there, and men keep piling in, there are these men out. They're doing this kind of ceremonial dance. We're introduced to the oil minister and his son. There are cameras filming what we do. It's a strange thing, though, because it's a wedding and there, there are no ladies there. And so we kind of wonder, well, where's, where's the bride? 
And then we get directed into this massive banquet hall. And I think, oh, here's where the wedding is going to take place. But actually, we're just going into a feast. There are a hundred round tables for eight, set in fine linen with a roasted lamb in the middle of each table. An amazing feast in front of us. There's all the men, there's all the cameras, but there's no bride. And so I leaned over to our host and said, where's, it's a wedding, right? Where's the bride? He said, well, this is not an American wedding. He said, in in the Middle East, the groom is the star of the show. He said, you remember that passage in Scripture that says the friend rejoices at the coming of the bridegroom. He said, that's what today's about, the coming of the bridegroom. When we're done in here, he will go into a room where there are about 800 women and some who are friends of his family will speak about his character, the sort of person he is, and then they'll celebrate as he takes the bride away. What we're doing now is probably a lot closer to the marriage supper of the Lamb than anything you see in America because the groom is the star of the show. That's what we find out in the book of Ruth. There's a groom that will come about that's a redeemer, that is the star of the story, but the story doesn't start out all that great. Let's read the first five verses and and jump in. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. When I read through the book of Ruth this week, when I would prepare for the sermon, for some reason, the lion sleeps tonight comes to my mind every time I read Elimelech. You know, Elimelech, Elimelech, that's not actually how that goes. So his name was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malhan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. Now here's how this story starts. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both Malhan and Chilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So happy Mother's Day. We're done. See, the story starts out horribly. Starts out horribly. And here are the characters. There's Elimelech, whose name means God as King. He goes with his wife and his two sons. Literally, their names are Puny and Piney. I don't know if they were Puny and Piney or if Elimelech and Naomi had bad senses of humor. That's who they were. His wife's Naomi, literally her name means my joy. That's important. You need to remember that. And then their two daughters-in-law, Ruth, whose name would either be translated a sight to see, intimate friend, friend of God, and Orpah. Her name means back of the neck. That matters in the story. See, Tommy Nelson, before we jump into the story, he would tell us there are four themes that we need to know of. I want to talk about those themes this morning before we continue. The first is a biblical theme. It's a biblical theme. In other words, it's a theme that's not only in the book of Ruth, but it's throughout the Scripture. And that theme is this. God will use whoever He wants, 
whenever He wants, to do whatever He wants, to continue the story of redemption through the Messiah. God will use whoever He wants, whenever He wants, to do whatever He wants, to continue the story of the redemption through the Messiah. He'll even use a Gentile widow named Ruth to continue the story of redemption through the Messiah. You see that over and over and over in the Bible. Next, there's a spiritual theme. Ruth is a faithful daughter-in-law, a faithful wife. It sounds like she'll be a faithful mother. She's a Gentile who lives like a great Jew, we'll see. And we'll see that the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. There's a biblical theme, there's a spiritual theme, there's a theological theme. There's a theological theme. 1 Corinthians 1.28 says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Rather, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, lowest in the eyes of the world, the destitute in the eyes of the world, are not only cared for and protected by God, but often elevated to strategic places in the story he is writing. And then last, there's a typological theme. As we continue this story, we're going to read about a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. You've got a woman in a destitute situation, and a man from Bethlehem redeems a Gentile bride. It's this foretaste, this picture of a people in a destitute situation, dead in sin. And a man from Bethlehem redeems us, the bride. So these are the themes, and I'm going to give you the practical application before we really even dive in any further. The practical application of the book of Ruth is this. Be faithful and trust God. Be faithful and trust God. And mamas, those of you who dedicated babies today, and those of you who got babies sitting next to you that are older than me, if the rhythm of your life, the words out of your mouth, and the life that you're living, if your children can see it over and over and over, these lessons, be faithful and trust God. You'll do all right as a mama. Be faithful and trust God. There's so much in this world you can't control. You can't control who your children are going to marry. If my mother-in-law was here, she'd go, Amen. (laughs) You can't control who your children are going to marry. You can't control who's going to be driving next to them on the interstate. You can't control their mental capacity. You can't control their personality traits. You can't control what they wear. You may think you can, but you can't. I had a friend in high school, Miss Reimers, if you're listening online, I'm telling about Jeff. Jeff was not allowed to leave his house without a collared shirt tucked in with a belt on. So everywhere Jeff went, he put on a t-shirt and shorts under his khaki pants. We'd get into the car, he'd take off his pants, t-shirt and shorts all around town, and he thought at least his mom never ever knew. He's in the FBI now. I hope that doesn't get him in trouble, right? So much you can't control in your children's lives and in your life, but you can be faithful and you can trust God by His grace. So the practical application of the book of Ruth is be faithful and trust God. Be faithful and trust God. 
See, we're going to see that Ruth has seen something in her mother-in-law's life that would tell her to be faithful and trust God. To be faithful and trust God. So let's look at Naomi and Ruth after both their husbands are dead. Naomi's son's dead. Naomi looks at her her daughters-in-law and she says, Return each of you to your mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the houses of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. She says, go home, girls. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer you. And they wept together. But they said, no, we'll return with you to your people. But she said, turn back, my daughters-in-law. Why will you go with me? Do I have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Well, no, she's a widow. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. Even if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In their culture... If a husband died, his brother would take his wife and care for her. Naomi says, that's not happening. I'm a widow of ten years. I'm not having any more children. If I did, what are you going to do? Wait till they're grown? Go. I've got nothing for you. The hand of the Lord has come against me. And they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her and she said, See? Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Just go. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi Naomi saw she was determined, she said nothing more. See, Naomi, Naomi looks at Ruth and she says, listen, come with me. God has a wonderful plan for your life. You come with me and things will be smooth and easy. Naomi is not preaching the prosperity gospel. She says, I'm a widow, I may suffer, I may die, I have nothing to offer. Just go back. And Ruth says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I am with you. And Naomi says, the hand of God has gone out against me. And then Ruth makes this amazing statement. She says, your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. See, Naomi is in the midst of the darkest days she's ever seen. Her husband's dead, her sons are dead, and in this culture, there is no help for her. She had forgotten about Boaz. She had forgotten about the Redeemer. When we have decided God is against us, we tend to exaggerate our hopelessness. We've decided that God is against us. We tend to exaggerate our hopelessness. I want you to hear me today. You may be in a hard situation. You may be in an extremely difficult situation. The odds may be stacked against you. But you're not hopeless if you're in Christ. 
you're not hopeless. He who did not spare His own Son is for you. Mamas, you may look at your children and think, what in the world has gone wrong? It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Just like God's not done with Ruth and Naomi's story, He is not done with yours. And despite Naomi's fear, Ruth has seen something in her time with her mother-in-law, in her words and in her witness and in her life, that she says, your God will be my God. So she says, where you go, I will go. Ruth, she's willing to leave her family and her homeland. She's willing to go to a new place. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to go back to mama's house. She's willing to accept life as a widow. She's willing to learn a new culture and language. And ultimately, she is willing to suffer and die. I got to tell you, Ruth would have made an amazing missionary. She just would have. But the theme of her life is this. I can't control that my husband's gone. I can't control whether I suffer. God's numbered my days. I have not. But I can be faithful and I can trust God. I can be faithful and I can trust God. See, Ruth, she hoped in God when her present was bad and her future looked bleak. She hoped in God when her present was bad and her future looked bleak bleak. Naomi couldn't see that the Redeemer was coming through this awful circumstance. And Ruth couldn't either, but she hoped in God. As I was reading this lesson, there are about five things that stick out that I want to say that we have seen or will see from the book of Ruth. And they're good for us to hear. And the first is this, that God is a sovereign king. God is a sovereign king. He rules and he reigns with perfect wisdom, power, and love. The sovereign king has mysterious ways. He's got mysterious ways. Sometimes we don't understand them. Maybe often we don't understand them. I saw online the other day, can't remember who said this. He said, God maybe doing 10,000 things in your life at any one time, and you see three of them going on. See, he's got mysterious ways, but his purposes are good. His purposes are good. Listen, if I had written this book, I would have written it differently. And let's all praise God that Chase is not sovereign, right? If I would have written this book, Ruth, this young Moabite girl, she and her parents are doing well, life's good, school's out, she's just graduated, they take, they take a vacation, they go to Israel. They're out touring a farm and she bumps into this stunning young farmer, Boaz. They're smitten, they meet together, they get married, no suffering, Obed's born, Jesse's born, David's born. But that's not typically how the story of the Messiah goes. It's wrapped up in suffering. It's wrapped up in suffering, but God's purposes are good. Just like like Naomi and Ruth can't see the end of the story. You may be a mother with wayward children, or you may have children who are suffering, or you may long for children and do not have them. And the story 
is not over. His purposes are good, so his people must be courageous. I got to tell you, I hate that point. I don't know if anything exemplifies courage in life more than a mother. There are all kinds of ways that you see it. I want to tell you about how we saw it in our house a few months ago. My daughter turned 14. And one of her friends, a little bit older, called and asked if she could go to Starbucks. It was a female friend, mind you. Surely a young man wouldn't be that foolish, right? Wants to ride to Starbucks with a friend, and her friend's going to drive. And so I looked at Laura, looked at Maddie, said, I'll tell you what, let me and Mom talk about it for just a second. We'll give you an answer. She walked out of the room. I opened up my chair, grabbed my paper bag, and just started going... Have you seen that kid drive? I haven't seen that kid drive. Lord, I, I think she'll be okay. You know where she's talking about going with her life. You know where we've already sent her. She's going to Starbucks. I think it'll be all... <laughs> My wife looked at me and said, Listen, let me just say it like this. If she survived riding with you 14 years, Ray Charles could drive her to Starbucks. God would probably <laughs> protect her. I just folded up my little paper bag, put it back in. Honey, you can go to Starbucks. Mom and I are so excited for you. She walked out. (laughs) That's just a little picture, though. There are so many ways. I see my mom did this, working hard as a single mom. I see it in my wife's life. The courage that a mother displays. See, God's people have to be courageous. And Ruth is. Another lesson, and I think an important lesson for us, is that the glory of Christ is a glory of grace. It's a glory of grace. It doesn't depend on our getting it right all the time. See, when we see Naomi, where she says, go away from me, the hand of the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Or when she goes into Bethlehem and her friends say, Naomi, and she goes, don't call me Naomi, my joy. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. We hear somebody talking like that and we go, shh, you can't say that about God. See, we would kind of sweep Naomi's fears and doubts under the rug. Don't talk about that. We're evangelicals, right? Naomi, though, she's not excluded from the discourse of faith. She's part of it. She's part of the story. It's a glory of grace. And we know that she's part of the story because the story ends with God blessing her. Through her fears, through her doubts, through her questions, through her uncertainty, God blesses her with just what she's looking for, a grandbaby. This gift from God will come. If we're going to see the star of the story, we've got to get to the star of the story. So we need to look at chapter 2. Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. You get that? She's gleaning. She's going and just picking up the leftovers so she and her mother-in-law can have something to eat. 
So she set out and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. See, so much of life is guided by the unseen hands of God. She did happen to come to the field of Boaz, but she didn't just happen to come to the field of Boaz. God's bringing the Messiah through Ruth and Boaz. And his unseen hands are guiding even when she doesn't know it. He was of the clan of Elimelech, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant said, She's a young Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Boaz says, Listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? You're going to be safe here. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not even one of your servants. Listen, Boaz, he's just a stud. If they made a movie about Ruth in the early 90s when Boaz walked into a room, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man would have been playing in the background. He's just a good man. We're told he's a worthy man. He's a worthy man. One author says he's a God-saturated man. It's the period of the judges. There's no king in Israel. Each man is doing what is right in his own eyes, but even in his greeting. Boaz says, the Lord be with you. And he shows by his character toward Ruth, his kindness toward Ruth, the sort of man that he is. He provides for her. He says, you stay in my field. You go after these ladies. You stay close to them. You get what you need. When you're thirsty, you go, my young men will take care of you. He protects her. He says, I've charged these young men not to touch you. He understands that he's blessed to be a blessing to others. God's provided for him. Now he's providing for her. That's Boaz. Even though she's a foreigner, he looks out for her, he protects her. He knows that the blessings that God is bestowing on him, he can use to bless others. And then there's Ruth. She's a woman of initiative. She's a woman of initiative. She says to her mother-in-law, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Mothers, be women of initiative when it comes to caring for your family. When it comes to looking after your family. When it comes to pointing 
them to Jesus. Don't wait until they have questions. Now, when they have questions, be excited to talk, but be ready to speak about Jesus early and often in your home. Be women of initiative when it comes to pointing your kids to Jesus, when it comes to caring for them. Be women of humility. Remind your children that there's a God who loves you, who cares for you, and who is taking care of you. John Piper says, Proud people don't feel amazed at being treated well. God's grace should make us humble. Ruth says to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your sight? I'm a foreigner. Why are you treating me so nicely? See, in an entitled culture, we think about all kinds of things that we think we deserve, and we forget the one thing we do deserve. Wrath. Separation. Don't be entitled to be humble. Be amazed at the goodness of God and help your children to be amazed at the goodness of God. She's a woman of initiative. She's a woman of humility. She's a woman of industry. In verse 7, it says that the, the reapers tell him she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. She's worked all day except for a short rest. That just sounds like a mom's day. Average mom walks a thousand miles every year just being a mom. My, my wife works one or two days a week, and when she does, I try to do a little bit of laundry and try to make sure that my kids don't break anything on themselves. Now that we've gone to four, I don't mind if they break stuff. I just don't want them to break themselves. And when I live a day at home, I just think, man, my wife is amazing. She comes in from work, and I'm just exhausted. Dads, that, that might not be you, but that's me. I've got a wife that is a woman of industry and works hard in our home all day long, and I'm grateful for it. See, Ruth exemplifies that. Moms, serve your family well. Serve your family well. Now, Ruth is working real hard for a little reward. She just wants to take care of her and her mother-in-law. They just need to live. She's just doing what she does because she loves. I think that's a great picture of what it is to be a mom. Who else would work two and a half hours in a kitchen? And some little seven-year-old that doesn't even have taste buds take a bite of your creation and go, this is awful. Every once in a while I cook, my kids tell me that. I tell them, be quiet, God provided, eat it and smile. <laughs> well, my, well, what else, mama, you know, what else can I make you? How can I care for you? You okay? Have you eaten enough? You got enough? That's not like a dad. That, that meat's not overdone, son. It's just well done, very well done. Chew it up, buddy. It's not a mom. Mom's love. Ruth's a woman of initiative, a woman of humility. She's a woman of industry. But she's not the star of the story. She's not the star of the story. She goes home. She tells Naomi what's been done. And Naomi says, Boaz is a redeemer. Boaz is one of our redeemers. 
you go to Him. And now we begin to see how Boaz is the star of the story. Naomi, her mother-in-law, tells Ruth what to do. Ruth's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. She won't know the traditions. And so Naomi's going to explain to her what to do to claim redemption. She says, my daughter-in-law, I want to seek rest for you. Boaz, our relative with these young women you were with, he's going to be winnowing tonight. The harvest is over. He's at the winnowing floor getting grain. So she says, wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And Ruth said, I will do all that you tell me to do. Be faithful and trust God. So to claim redemption, she would go lay her head at his feet. And that's what she does. She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet. And at midnight, he was startled. And he said, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth. I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first. You've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true, I'm a redeemer. But there's a twist in the story. There's a redeemer nearer than I. Someone else could have redeemed Ruth and Naomi. So Boaz says, I'm going to go to the elders tomorrow. I'll ask him if he will redeem you. If he does, then good. But if he doesn't, I will redeem you. And he's sending her away early in the morning. And he says, take your outer garment and gather it. And he puts six measures of barley in her outer garment. Enough food to last a while. He's saying, you're going to be okay. I will make sure you're taken care of. I'm going to provide for you one way or the other. And then Boaz goes. He goes to the city gate. He sees this other redeemer. He says, friend, come and listen. Naomi has come back from Moab. She has a daughter-in-law, a Moabitite. She, she is coming to be redeemed. And you are her redeemer. So you can buy this field. You can buy this field of Naomi's and redeem her. But when you do, you take Ruth as your own. And so... What would have happened had this Redeemer said yes is Ruth would have given him a son and when the son grows up, the field belongs not to the guy who's bought it but to Ruth's son to carry on the name of Elimelech. And the Redeemer says, no, I'm I'm not going to do it. I'll pass. I've got my own inheritance to worry about. I can't worry about redeeming Elimelech's inheritance. I'm I'm not going to do it. So Boaz says to the elders, I will redeem her. And there's this ceremony they do, and Boaz says to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I've brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malhan. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that his name may not be cut off. And the people who are at the gate and the elders says, we are witnesses, make May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. See, they are praying something God will bring about through their line. And then Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife, verse 13 of chapter 4. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, here's the line of the book. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer. See, Naomi comes to Bethlehem hopeless. She's forgotten she has a Redeemer. Mothers, I don't know what the story of your family looks like. Ladies who are longing to be mothers, I don't know what the story of your family is going to look like. But I know God's sovereign. I know His ways are mysterious. I know His purposes are good. And I know your story's not over. So be faithful and trust God. He has not left you without a Redeemer. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. And she's given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and put him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood said, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. See, we can live hope-filled lives of risk for the glory of Jesus, not because we want to be known as redeemers. We're not the star of the story. Rather, because we know we have been redeemed by the one who is the star of the story. Redeemed by King Jesus. To make his name known and be part of the story he is writing on earth. Now, I wonder when Boaz went to redeem Ruth. I wonder if he remembered the stories his mother had told him when he was a child. How she, Rahab the prostitute as the Bible calls her. Let some spies hide in her home. And she saw her entire city destroyed except her house in the wall. The only one in Jericho who made it. And there was a, there was a scarlet thread hanging out her window. I wonder if Boaz had any clue that he was part of another scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. Where God takes destitute women, redeems them, and makes them part of His story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption that doesn't come through a man who bought a field, but it comes through a man who bore a cross. His name is Jesus, and He died And he didn't pay with money or barley. He paid with his blood. And he rose from the dead. So that mamas and daddies and boys and girls could find redemption through his blood. See, if you've been redeemed today, 
You've got to tell the story you're in. Just like those women told about how God had not left Naomi without a redeemer. Mamas, let your children know early and often we've not been left without a redeemer. Be faithful and trust God. Be faithful and trust God. Maybe, maybe you come to this place today. Maybe you're here because your mom asked you to be here and you don't have much for church. But maybe you're here and you've heard there's a redeemer for you. Maybe this is your first time in a place like this. Maybe you've come to places like this often and you're just kind of peering over the fence to see what Christianity looks like. It looks like this. There's a God who loves you and he's not left you. But His Son, Jesus, has died to give you life. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to begin walking as part of His story. See, the the reality is, if you walk with Him, you can't be the star of the story, but it's really the only story worth walking in. And when you walk in this story, it's a story that ends in joy. He knows the outcome so we can be faithful and trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the book of Ruth. And thank You, God, for the reminder that no matter how dim the story might seem today, it's not done being written. And with good purposes. You are writing us into a story of redemption that you're weaving throughout history. And your sun shines as the star of it. So God, may we live lives that glorify him. And because of who he is and what he does, help mothers in this place to walk with this Rhythm is the beat of their home. Be faithful and trust God. Be faithful and trust God. Father, we thank you that it's a story of grace. And I pray for those here who don't know you today, that perhaps they might cry out to you and find life in you. God, be glorified in us this day as we celebrate mothers. Be glorified us every day as we celebrate the star of the story, King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.